2: Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
1: 971 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of The Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call
0: Gamma Tree Experts.
3: in the Christmas bumps just a little bit here. I always favor the low straitjackets, which are instrumental. And they play their music in Mexican wrestling masks, which is always something I'm fond of. So for those of you who know, low straitjackets, hopefully you appreciate that. Hey, Fred, do you remember um, Remember Tom Price, who was an Oklahoma um, see, a senator or congressman, and then he worked in the... Um, he, he went he,
1: on to the Department of Health and Human Services. Right.
3: But then he had to get out of that because there was a kerfuffle about using, you know, private transportation. Remember, there was a bit of an ethics. Inquiry oh, yeah. On, right. And I liked him and he would come on the show every once in a while. And then he got yeah. shuffled out early. I, br- I bring this up because apparently if you criticize a Republican, you know, like Tom Price in the Trump administration, then that's OK. But you can't do that to Mayor Pete because Mayor Pete's gay and he wants to be president. So the story that came out this week is Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg. uh, How do you pronounce that? Buttigieg. 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 An advocate of increased government action to curb carbon emissions has taken at least 18 flights using taxpayer-funded private jets since taking office. Buttigieg has traveled across the country visiting Florida, Ohio, New Hampshire, among other states, and out of the country using private jet fleets managed by the FAA. The flight records align with Jag's schedule. Um, his predecessor, Elaine Chao, that was um, Mitch McConnell's wife. Oops, my screen just changed out here. Um, she faced criticism, too, on the same thing. Hang on, Hang on I got to sneeze. <coughs> well, your mic was on, Fred, so people heard that. Anyway, it happened to Tom Price as well. But I think this is interesting because, look, 18 trips over two years, that's a lot of money. I get that he's a member of the cabinet. He's a transportation secretary. But wouldn't you think he could maybe send a different message? This kind of goes hand in hand with a story that I saw, and this would not surprise people. In the LA Times on Sunday, here is the opinion piece. Because we're told that if we cut back in our carbon emissions, right, we have to have electric cars. We can't eat steaks anymore or hamburgers, right? Too much cow farting. Can't have that. What else is off limits? Can't really you know, heat your home or anything like that, that would be using too much um, carbon emission. So the op-ed in the LA Times, op-ed, think bigger, switching to electric cars isn't enough. And what I love about this, this is a piece by a guy by the name of Mike Schneider. And Mike Schneider, I give him credit. He's the founder of something called Streets for All. He's at least honest because he realizes that just going to electric cars and trucks, that's not going to really do anything. It's really not going to put a dent into it. He outlines all these things in his op-ed about how much energy... These would use. It's not like we're eliminating carbon emissions. You're reducing it by, at best, fifty percent, and that's at best. Maybe it's thirty percent. Maybe it's thirty-five percent. But there's all kinds of other polluters out there, right? So you know what the solution for that is, Fred? You want to take a stab? What is the what's this? What is the solution for if we have to do more? You know, in in electric cars are not the answer. What's the answer? This is an actual line from this op-ed. You ready for it? This is very realistic. And obviously, this is a person, Michael Schneider, who's thinking through things. And he really understands the American way and how we do things in this country. We need a future with fewer cars and much more public transit and bike usage. (sighs) That's what he says. Has he ever – well, first of all, does he live in L.A.? Has he seen how people get around in L.A.? Okay, They need cars. Right? If you don't have cars, you're not going to get anywhere, and you barely get anywhere anyway. Have you been to St. Louis? You can't get you, What are you going to do, build Metrolink to every corner of the city at the cost of trillions and trillions of dollars? This is what they want. Okay, well, we can't do that. We don't well, have the money. You're right, Mark. We can't do that. Let's focus on bikes. Let's just do bikes.
1: We need more bike lanes.
3: We need, yeah. And By the way, I'm a fan of all that. I love that. But you know, that's not going to solve the problem that they think we need to solve. So- it's it's a bunch of malarkey, is what it is. I want to say something else, but I just thought that that was kind of funny. By the way, Fred, I I told Abby this earlier. Remember yesterday? You know, I just had a sneeze, and I told you how my wife sneezes.
1: Yeah, Time. twelve or thirteen times. So here's the text,
3: I, Abby. You saw this six oh eight this morning, of which I was sort of aware. She says, dogs went out, gave treats to cats, sneezed fourteen times, moved Elfie, Elf on the Shelf, packed Alexa's backpack and snack. My response was, I heard 13 of them. <laughs> and I did.
1: And how many times did you say bless you?
3: Uh, I did not. And I've been up since 6 o'clock as well, coincidentally.
0: These allegations are deeply concerning. Does the president have any comment?
1: We're not going to comment. It's not clear messaging. No, 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 no. And now, Sue's News. Sue's Brought to you by Sue. Well, not today. No problem. I can do Fred's it. News I can today. do it. So yeah. let's start with Today in History. Uh, 19 years ago today, in 2003, U.S. soldiers captured Saddam Hussein in that raid of a farm about 10 miles outside his hometown of Crete.
3: It's pronounced Saddam. Saddam Hussein. Saddam.
1: That's right. And and where was he? Hiding in a hole in the ground. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, 19 years ago. Can you even believe it was that long ago? No. Wow. I don't. Uh, Three big celebrity birthdays today. Taylor Swift is 33. Uh, Ted Nugent. Is 74.
3: Oh, is he 74? 74. Uncle Ted. Well, you know what? We got to remember this for next year because the big 75 is maybe something we need to honor for Ted. Yeah, Region, don't you think?
1: I think so. And uh, Dick Van Dyke is 97.
3: Still kicking. Yeah. Bob Barker, 99. Dick Van Dyke, 97.
1: That's right. Hey, I found this story like one of the best ways possible. Just sitting on the, on the printer today when I came into work. So oh, nice. I just I just took, picked it up Someone and took just it. Someone gifted it to you? Yeah, it was just sitting there. I don't know who was going to use it, but I took it. <laughs> um and Becky, your wife might be up for this. Uh there's the 10 oddest Guinness Book of World Records set uh, this year in 2022. Um so these are just the oddest okay. things that were set. Um I mean 14 sneezes. I I wonder what the record is for sneezes. Oh, sneezing. it's got to be
3: much more than sneezes. Yeah. Uh, more the, than 14, I would guess.
1: The fastest time to find and alphabetize the letters in a can of alphabet soup.
3: What? Isn't that odd?
1: I know. Jacob Chandler of Oregon found all 26 English-language letters in a can of alphabet soup. Placed them in order alphabetically in two minutes and eight seconds. Who I didn't, thinks of these things? I don't things? know. I think there's a site that says the oddest Guinness Book of World Records. And people and they actually, it. they
3: have a Twitter site that says Guinness World Records because here's what I just found out. The longest sneezing fit began in 1981. Donna Griffiths in the UK sneezed an estimated one million times in the first 365 days and sneezed at least once a day until the 977th day. Now, how they track that, I have no idea.
1: But sneezed at least once a day. Don't you think you sneeze at least once a day? No, not every day, I don't think. Really? Hmm.
4: I feel like I have to sneeze at least once to, once a day. Now I'm thinking about it. I feel like I have to sneeze.
1: Here's, here's another um, odd world record for this year. The largest gathering of people with the same first and last name. It was in Japan. There's a group called the Same Name Association of Hirokazu Tanaka's. So Hirokazu <laughs> Tanaka uh, must be... Uh, common name. He's 53. He founded the Society in 1994. This year, he got 178 people who share his name all together in an October gathering.
3: So we had an interesting question that came up along these lines uh, the other night. My my little angel, Alexis, said, Abby probably doesn't know this story. Fred, you might not even remember it. But she said, what was... Now, she's got two brothers, right? Aiden and Evan are from my ex-wife. So what is Aiden and Evan's mom's last name. Her first name was Mary. What was her last name? Do you remember what it was, Fred? No. Well, I'll give you a hint. It's the same last name as me. Oh. Her maiden name was Reardon. He looked confused. Yes. No, that's, that's. Her maiden name was, now I spell it, there's three different ways to spell the name. Not that people really care. It's R-E-A-R-D-O-N, D-E-N, or the Irish R-I-O-R-D-A-N, right? So she spelled it D-E-N, I spelled it O-N, and that's kind of, it's a long story, that's kind of how we met, but that was, so that's kind of hard to describe, like to Alexa yeah. to explain that, you know, difference between maiden names and married names, and there was just one letter difference, but that was a did, conversation from the other night.
1: Did she change her last
3: name? She did. To your spelling? Yes. Okay. So the boys have D-O-N.
1: All right. Yeah. You know, with me, um, my wife's first name is Marie, and I'm Fred. My parents were Fred and Marie. So we were like Fred Marie, the sequel. Yeah. yeah. So she didn't take my last name. She kept her maiden name.
3: Well, the way this happened is I had this um, this eye disease around about 1990, you know, 1991. I had surgery in 1992. And I would go to, at Boone Hospital Center in Columbia, they had a little um, pharmacy. And that's where I would go get my prescriptions for my eyes. And the pharmacy tech, who was named Kim, started talking. You know, I would go in there and i get the medicine. And she'd say, oh, my roommate, this is how I remember it, my roommate has the same last name and every once in a while we'll get a call from one of your drunk friends because back then you have to remember Abby there were no you know we didn't have iPhones we had phone books right Right. so if one of my idiot friends from Chicago or somewhere else would try to get a hold of me didn't know what my number was they'd look it up in the phone book I wasn't in the phone book I don't think because I felt I felt like I think I was a celebrity at the time and I didn't want it because I was on the radio I don't know either that or something so but but she was under m Reardon. So people thought they took a stab. Oh. They thought it was my. So I'd had idiot friends from all over the country that would call it like two in the morning. But that's the story behind that.
1: And our, our uh, last weird um, Guinness Book of World Record moment for 2022. Lim Kai Yi of Butterworth, Malaysia, put together a Mr. Mr. Potato Head, which was completely disassembled. In how long? 5.4 seconds. Oh, my.
3: That's pretty good.
1: Yeah. yeah. Were
4: all the parts like inside so she had to get them out and then stick them in? It just says it was, it says it was a
1: fully be. disassembled Mr. Potato Head. 5.4 Put it all seconds. together in 5.4 seconds.
4: I feel like I could do that if they were all laid out for me. They could be in whatever order, but I, could, that I fast? could stab it in there real quick. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. Right. Maybe I'm overestimating myself. Sounds like a challenge.
1: <laughs> it does sound like a challenge. That's right. Uh, Google is out with its most Googled food coupons for the year. The number one Googled food coupon would be for DoorDash. Uh, number two is Papa John's. Number three is Uber Eats. Four is Pizza Hut. Like every other one is a pizza place. Four, five is Subway, then Grubhub, then Chuck E. Cheese, Burger King, Little Caesars, and Domino's.
4: A lot of, so I think a lot of five pizza. of the ten
1: are pizza places.
4: Pizza gets expensive when you order for a lot of people, you know?
1: yeah. Uh. Um Abby, do you have a dish at at your house? What do you have? A dishwasher? Yeah, we have a dishwasher. Okay, Mark dishwasher? Yes. So there was a another study that came out that said, How long do dishes sit in your sink before they get washed? On average, it's a day and a half.
4: Whoa. That feels like a long time. That feels
1: like a long time on average, because sure,
3: can a dish sit for a day in in my sink? Very unlikely, but it does happen. Like if it's like if you time from the night before and then I forget to MPM or something like that. But we we turn it around pretty quickly. But when you look at the average of a day and a half, that means people are going two or three days, <laughs> right? Right. right. Uh-huh. Now, if they include everyone, Abby, not to throw your generation under the bus, but I probably did this when I was your age too. If I would go into one of my son's apartments, or if you would go into one of your son's apartments, Fred their dishes would probably be stacked up, right? Right, right. Not for just about six or seven hours either. And,
1: and only 70% of people reported that they have a dishwasher, which is How many? odd. What's the percent? 70%. Yeah,
3: I think we talked about that before. That's, yeah, I think a lot of
1: people in apartments, they don't have them. And Gen Zers um, say it's okay to go four days
4: Whoa. without
1: doing your dishes. Just let them stack up for four days.
4: As someone who's on the line there, I say that is wrong. And four days is far, far too long.
1: Uh, what do you think is the most confusing appliance in your house? Uh I'll give you some choices. I don't choices. know I have one that's oh, confusing. Okay. Is it, is there one that's, what's oh, okay. I'm going to say
4: the, the laundry machine, the yep, washer. The
1: washing machine topped a new list of the most confusing appliances. Microwave was second, followed by the dishwasher. And I can understand that there's a lot of buttons on a dishwasher I, or I would on, say, on a washing here's machine. Here's what I would
3: say as far as that. I, I do think that, and I'm guilty of this as well, I think we all underutilized the technology so there's a bunch of numbers and there's a bunch of settings and then a bunch of things you and half those things probably never even get pressed
1: yeah okay. we just leave it on one setting right,
3: exactly pretty much
1: yeah um so uh washing machine was the most microwave was second and the oven was the third one so then our random fact of the day is a jiffy do you know what a jiffy is Jiffy loop? No, just a jiffy. Like, I'll be back in a jiffy. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. It's an actual unit of time. It's one one one-hundredth of a second.
3: Oh. So if you say you'll be back in a jiffy,
1: that's one one one-hundredth of a second. According to who? According to the Random Facts <laughs> website, bar.
3: All right, that's where we're going to go with. There you go, Fred's News for this uh, Tuesday afternoon. Sue will be back on Monday. I actually held one back about a Christmas song that I saw in the LA Times today that I know that she's going to want to chat about. We have John John Rooney coming up next. We'll talk some Cardinals baseball. Also, inspire you on the True Hope campaign. I have a great Cardinals package that John has assisted in putting together, which involves uh, a little uh, checking out BP going up to the booth as well. We'll lay it out next.
2: You deserve this rich, golden lager with a crisp, but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame...
0: two more.
2: You deserve this ice-cold reward. Modelo, the mark the fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port Chicago, Illinois.
3: We have several things that are going on this week in connection with the Tree Hope campaign for SSM Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. We'll have John Callahan in the next hour. He has founded the Callahan Pickleball Academy, He's the first full-time pickleball coach in St. Louis. He's put a great package together for a pickleball party that we will uh, offer up to raise some money for the kids at Cardinal Glennon. We have a great Cardinals package that we'll unveil here at the end of our next conversation. And that conversation is going to be with the one and only John Rooney, voice of the Cardinals, with us this afternoon, enjoying his offseason. How are you, John? Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. I hope all is well.
0: Oh, the same to you, Mark. How have you been?
3: I've been pretty good. You know, things are going well. I love my little switch here to the uh, the FM side. You and I used to talk every single week during the Cardinal season on the AM side. I do miss that. You'll join me from time to time. But I love the, the vibe over here, and it's going great. So it's great to hook up with you.
0: Oh, that's good to hear. That is great to hear and uh, great to be with you. And uh, we're talking about something that's very, very near and dear to my family, and that's uh, Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. What a miraculous place,
3: that is. Well, let's start with the personal connection, because obviously um, I had Matt Holiday on yesterday. He was fantastic. We have uh, Joy Vitale coming on this week and some other folks that have had direct, you know, contact and experiences. And, I'm, you know, it's one of my greatest fears is having this little seven-and-a-half-year-old that something happens to this little girl, and you end up in a situation that a lot of families are put in. And this campaign is about making that whole experience a lot better, a lot easier, a lot less stressful, right?
0: Oh, it, sure, it certainly is. And they have um, just... One example: uh, We were watching them examine a child in this rather large room, and within minutes, transformed that room into an operating room, and didn't waste any time at all and perform the procedure that this uh, young child needed to get better. And uh, I just couldn't believe it. Uh, and that's because of so many great Cardinal fans, so many great people who have donated, who have uh, given of their their time, their resources to uh, allow uh, this kind of miracle work to take place. Uh, It's something to behold, Mark, and uh, I I just fell in love with the place when Susan and I toured years ago. We got Richard Winter of Garden View Care Center involved. He sponsored the number six for Stan Musial and the number seven for Matt Holiday. That uh, was a big fundraiser. And then um, Mike Shannon really got behind it too, Mark. When uh, I got going with it, Mike uh, jumped on board and he did uh, some terrific work uh, for Cardinal Glennon. And, uh, in fact, we were, we were pushing uh, a couple of years. Uh, we wanted donations. We wanted people to get online and make their pledge to Homers for Health and get all 50 states involved. And sure enough, we got Cardinal fans from all 50 states uh, to donate. It was great.
3: Well, I I was able to participate in what they call Cardinal Glennon 101 or Glennon 101, where they they had us over for several hours earlier in the fall, late summer, and just got to see different departments. Not all of them, because they rotated us through some of the areas that we were more interested in seeing. So I saw the ER, and I visited with the music therapy folks because I spent some time with them doing some interviews last year. It was tough, though, because I've done the campaign a couple years in a row, but because of COVID, we really couldn't get, you know, hands-on or see things like you did firsthand until this year. And luckily, that is back, and you know, people can have that experience. But luckily, for those people listening right now, you don't want to have the firsthand experience as a patient or of a family of a patient. If you do, we're going to help you out with all this money that we're raising this week. But, John, let's talk a little baseball here. Uh, I mentioned, let's start with Matt Holliday. I had him on yesterday. He's got a gig with the Cardinals. He's a new bench coach. we got an interesting lineup here beyond the regular lineup on the field with some new faces this year, won't we?
0: Oh, that we do. And Matt Holliday is uh, one of those uh, that we'll begin with because he could be a hitting coach, a bench coach. uh, He could be on the bases. Uh, He knows the game and has stayed up with the game and the analytics. It's not like, well, this is the way I did it when I played. He does have that experience and that firsthand experience of being in the batter's box. But being on the field and dealing with things on and off the field and helping uh, Oliver Marmol. Uh, I think that's a terrific job, and we needed someone like Matt Holliday with the departure of Skip Schumacher, who is now managing the Miami Marlins. Uh,
3: The bench coach is probably one of those positions that that a lot of fans, they hear the term bench coach but don't realize how important that role is.
0: No, that bench coach is uh, probably two, three, four innings ahead of what's actually happening on the field and, and is certainly going over all of the prep work uh, you'd be amazed, Mark, uh, being on the preparation that takes place. Chad Blair going over all the scouting information and putting discs together and paperwork for the coaches. And uh, and something Skip Schumacher said, and it holds true for Oliver Marmel. And I think it did for Mike Schilt and some other managers as well. But the players will not outwork the coaches. And and that's really true. The time they put in, the preparation they put in, they're trying to pare down all of this stuff to make it simpler for these people to uh, understand what's going on and, and then being able to implement that in their game. So uh, Matt Holliday is a terrific choice for that job, no question.
3: How much do you know about Dusty Blake? He's the new pitching coach, and I think we're going to have to get a little used to seeing someone out there rub shoulders in a different way because Mike Maddox became the shoulder guy, right? Was it a one-shoulder rub? Was it a two-shoulder rub? Sometimes you knew how serious the situation was because, John, of the shoulder rub.
0: Well, it was a single claw or the double claw. That's right. Uh, That's that's right. That's what it was with Mad Dog. Yeah. And and we're going to see a a pitching coach who has a great uh, amateur background and who really relates to people very well. The pitchers like him, and he's been on the staff. He's been uh, helping coordinate things for uh, Mike Maddox and for Brian Eversgerd and and for Oliver Marmel. And now he's the guy who's going to be coordinating that and implementing. Those things that uh, he has been supporting for so long. And I, I think he's ready for that. And Turner Ward, as the hitting coach, uh, so well respected. Uh, I commented to Turner I said, when Joe Carter hit the home run to beat Philadelphia in the World Series in Toronto, I was next to the Philly dugout in the uh, camera well there getting ready to do the post game show for CBS Radio. And Turner said, yes. I was at home plate greeting him going cha-ching, cha-ching. Counting that World Series share. But now Turner's gone on from his playing days. He was a good hitter, but he is a really good teacher and so passionate about what he's doing. And I really, really like this coaching staff. Uh, I like the coaching staff uh, last year. I think it's a very professional group. And I think John Mazelok and Michael Gersh and Oliver Marmel have all accomplish something very, very good.
3: Well, and I think you got a big victory last week. Look, I'm excited about Wilson Contreras. I know Sean Murphy ends up going to the Braves, and there was a a lot of attention given to him as well, but I think Wilson's going to be awesome on the Cardinals. Your thoughts? You've seen him play up there at Wrigley Field and beyond.
0: Well, I'm interested to get to know him and uh, watch him every day. Uh, We've had games where he's hit a couple of home runs against the Cardinals, and uh, he's been a handful at the plate. And uh, I know pitchers like working to him with the Cubs, and – and uh, I'll just have to learn a lot more as I see firsthand and get to see him on an everyday basis. But uh, he comes highly touted, and uh, he helped the Cubs win when they won the World Series. He has that going for him. And uh, Yadier Molina said, hey, you're the future. Go get him." So that's good enough for me.
3: It is going to be weird though, John, obviously. And he, I think Wilson even said, you know, he's not replacing Yachty. You can't replace Yachty, right? You're succeeding him and there's a great opportunity, here, but that is going to be a little odd for Cardinals fans to see a different face behind home plate on a regular basis.
0: Well, we saw a different face behind home plate uh, in many, many games. uh, When when Yachty was on the injured list and Andrew Kisner was uh, back there and uh, And Ivan Herrera, uh, he's still in his growing stages at the minor league level, wasn't quite ready to step in. But uh, it is different, and for all these years we've seen number four and the reaction to number four by the fans, uh, even when we go on the road, uh, it's a mixed reaction because we have a lot of Cardinal fans there and a lot of places that boo Yachty because he's done so much damage to them over the years, like in Cincinnati and in uh, New York uh, at Shea Stadium and later Uh, over at uh, their new park. It's uh, City Park.
3: John, how do you see the rotation kind of shaping up this season? I was a little bummed that Quintana went to the Mets because he did great work here for the Cardinals. I think we forget, you know, the name that's still mysterious to me is Steven Matz. If he can kind of step up and be what we had hoped that he can be. He's had injury problems. Um, You have Waino coming back. I still think and love your thoughts on what might happen still in the offseason with a free agent pitcher as well.
0: Well, and I, I like the fact that Adam Wainwright is back and he'll be healthy uh, he had to kind of pitch through some uh, pain after he took a line drive off a leg last year and just didn't quite have his stride, and, and he, he lost some action on his breaking ball and lost a little time, uh, a little speed on the fastball. But with Jordan Montgomery returning, uh, he was very good his first 6-7 uh, starts for the Cardinals after they got him from the Yankees. Then you have Jack Flaherty, Miles Michaelis. Uh, they're definitely in the, in the mix to uh, do some great things for the Cardinals. What about Dakota Hudson? Uh, Where does he fall in line there? Uh, Matthew Libertor, is he ready to burst on the major league scene? Zach Thompson, he developed a really good fastball to go along with his breaking pitches. I'm anxious to watch him pitch. And then uh, Thomas, Connor Thomas uh, at uh, the Arizona Fall League, uh, he was a pitcher of the Fall League uh, developing a a cutter slider that was very effective in getting batters out. So the competition is going to be very good, and uh, who knows, Maybe uh, Mo will add a, another arm to that mix before we get down to Jupiter.
3: One of the most fascinating aspects of this season, I think, for the fans is going to be the new rules, John, and you've seen some of these rules at play. I don't know what your thoughts are on all of them. I'm a purist at heart when it comes to baseball, but let's face it, the DH turned out pretty well for the St. Louis Cardinals, and it's not going back in the other direction. I started just because I wanted to have a little experiment sitting there with my iPhone and my stopwatch during pitches during some of the games I attended, and there were some pitchers that would get that thing in in under 25 seconds, maybe 15 seconds, but there were quite a few that did not, and I think maybe the bigger challenge, love your thoughts on this, might be for the batters, not the pitchers, because those batters have their routines, and they're going to have to change those, aren't they?
0: Yeah, they are. They're, they're going to have to stay in there, or the umpire's going to say, uh, you don't get back in here, that's a strike. And it wouldn't surprise me, we have a few strikes uh, called, and might be on the third strike at that, uh, with batters who, uh, who just won't be used to that when we get the season started. I would think they'd be able to get used to it, though, by, by the end of spring training, and I like all those young pitchers coming up from AAA. They were used to getting the ball, getting the sign, and making the pitch. And with the pitch com, as soon as the pitch is uh, delivered and the catcher catches it, while the ball's on the way back, uh, the catcher can be pu- pushing the buttons for the pitch comp. And I think there's also going to be an experiment where the pitcher can call his pitches. There's a device uh, that they're going to add an experiment with that in spring training and we'll see how that works out where it'll be a little two way communication between the pitcher and catcher. And then your middle infielders and the center fielder can still hear what pitch is coming on their listening devices. So that's gonna make it uh, that's gonna make it pretty interesting overall. Well, and you know, I think I understand I certainly understand
3: the reasons because as much of a baseball fan as I am, it still gets frustrating sometimes and, and you're sitting there calling all the games, John. You know how these things can turn into four, four and a half hour affairs very easily sometimes.
0: Oh that they can. And the pitch uh, clock and the batter's clock, we'll call it that too, uh, that's going to make a difference. Uh, The bases will be a little bit bigger, and I think that will add to the running game. It is a game of inches, and if you're adding inches to the bases, then it's going to give those guys who are adept at stealing bases a little bit of an advantage. And only so many uh, times to throw to first base before it's a balk, I think, on the third time. You'd better pick the runner off or it's a balk and the runner goes to second, as I understand it. So that's something different. And uh, we're going to have uh, two infielders on each side of second on the dirt. We're taking those uh, exaggerated shifts away. That's going to be different next year. So it'll take a little getting used to, but it's all designed to try to get a little more action, get the ball in play, and uh, and also keep the game moving. To me, pace of game, and I've said it a million times, it's pitchers attacking the strike zone, umpires calling strikes, and batters staying in the batter's box. If they did those three things on a regular basis, you might not need the need the pitch clock.
3: The going to be a little different this year too, because you get to see more teams with interleague play.
0: That you do. You play everybody. Yeah. Uh, you, you you play everybody, and the only thing I'm a little worried about is weather. You get a couple of bad days, and uh, you're you're say uh, we're in Seattle, and we don't go back there. You know, how do you make those games up? Uh, you're going to be wearing out off days, and uh, it's going to uh, really affect the travel schedule. And I, I think we're going to see some altered game times like we did early last year, where uh, Kansas City played an early game, a noon game instead of a night game here, and we played a noon game instead of a night game there. And it worked out. The games were over just as the rain came. So I think you're going to see some of that taking place, too. So stay tuned on the game times uh, when the weather is in jeopardy. I
3: mentioned this to, to Matt Holiday yesterday. Look, <clears throat> here we are. Christmas is about, what, 12 days away, 13, 14 days away. I'm not good at math, John. Uh, the winter warm-up is right behind that. I'm not sure when you report down there to Jupiter, but we got games end of February. It's going to be here before you know it with this
0: season. All right. And uh, I usually go the week we start doing games. Uh, get down there a few days early and take in some workouts, and we get our recording done, uh, get everything set up for the broadcast. That'll be that first Saturday or the last Saturday in february for our first game on the air and then we'll uh, we'll bring the fans about 18 ball games before we open up at home this year that's something new we've been opening on the road so many years but open up at home uh, for the regular season and and we'll be ready to roll something different though this year it, it happens every few years the world baseball classic and that's going to take the likes of miles michaelis and uh, goldschmidt naranato and some of the cardinals to the Team USA and some other teams uh, in the World Baseball Classic. And uh, that extends spring training just a few days.
3: Well, let's try to raise a little money here for the kids at Cardinal Glennon. The uh, Cardinals and John have generously put together a great package, and you can have this package for $1,200. You can't put a price on some of these things. So they've uh, agreed to four tickets to a Cardinals game that you'll all agree on, mutually agreeable, as they say. Batting practice, the same date, so that'll be fun to get on the field and see BP. A trip to the broadcast booth where John and Ricky will be calling the game. That's a great package, $1,200. It all goes to the kids at Cardinal Glennon. If you'd like to take advantage of that, and these don't come along often, especially the uh, the special visits to the batting practice and also the booth. Uh, 314-241-9797. John, you will dazzle them in the booth with Ricky, right?
0: Oh, we'll have a great time. We'll take some photos and uh, we'll tell some stories and uh, we'll laugh a lot. And hopefully uh, the fans can help us uh, score some runs. So it's a good time when they come up to the booth.
3: Well, listen, enjoy the off season. I'd love to get together with you. Uh, we just chatted and had a text exchange last week. I'll see if I can follow up on that after the new year. But thank you so much for coming on here and Merry Christmas.
0: Well, Merry Christmas, Mark, and let's do that. And uh, thanks to all out there helping SSM uh, Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital because they do miracles uh, you just can't believe.
3: Absolutely. Thank you, John Rooney. And here you go. If you want to call in right now for this package, it's probably going to go quickly. 314-241-9797. We have a pickleball package in the next hour. Maybe you're holding out for that, but this is four tickets to a game. They're going to be good seats. Batting practice for that game. And then you get to head up to the broadcast booth with John and Ricky during that game as well. $1,200 for the kids at Cardinal Glennon. 314-241-9797. It's an end of the year tax donation. Think of it that way. The Cardinals package sold very quickly. My thanks to the Cardinals and to Mr. Rooney for offering that up for the kids at Cardinal Glennon. We have a great pickleball package in the next hour. Some other stuff from Sugarfire as well. I want to see if I can squeeze this in here before the end of the hour. This is a story that I've had since um, when was the 7th? When was the 7th? That was a week ago tomorrow, uh, Pearl Harbor Day. The Washington Post did this story that I was just amazed by, and I'm pretty sure that most of you have not heard about this, but it's sad and kind of tragic. The story starts this way, the, the, and there's some audio that I want to play along here. The baby woke up wailing just after 2 a.m., and the moment Sarah Perkins lifted her 14-week-old son, Cal, into her arms, she knew he had a fever. His temperature had climbed above 103, so Perkins was soon on her way to the emergency room. Her husband, Josh Saby, stayed at the apartment in Waltham, Massachusetts, with their three-year-old son, Clarence. In the pre-dawn hours of July 13th, the doctors ordered an X-ray to check Cal's lungs for signs of an infection. And that's when the family's nightmare began. The image on the X-ray, this is crazy stuff, it really is, revealed a healed fracture on Cal's ribcage, several weeks old, about the size of a thumbprint. The injury was determined to be the result of non-accidental trauma, meaning it was now determined to be a suspected case of child abuse. So a social worker visits the room where Sarah Perkins is waiting for word from the doctors. So she's got an infant that's got a 103 fever. And Sarah Perkins says she remembers the tone was immediately adversarial. We are talking about intentional trauma. How can you explain your child's injury? So. The story goes on to say every year more than three million children become the subjects of Child Protective Services investigations by agencies across the country. So literally overnight, Perkins and Sabie's sons numbered among them. The month-long saga that followed would inflict a lasting sense of fear, outrage, and trauma, heightened by the fact that everything each parenting choice, any passing comment, even their body language, felt subject to scrutiny by the Department of Children and Families in Massachusetts. And they're trying to fight for reform, and I think people who are listening right now will understand why. So. In the first days after the injury was discovered, they go to the parents and they start to talk about three-year-old Clarence. They give him an exam. No further concerns were found. DCF workers surveyed their apartment. No concerns were found. They're ba- Basically, they're surveilling these people. On July 14th. Perkins and Cal sent home from the hospital with an approved safety plan from DCF. The caseworker who stopped by their house the next day was reassuring. At the end of a harrowing week, Sabian Perkins began to believe that the ordeal would soon be over. But it was not. In the middle of a night, that weekend, 1 a.m., the cops come and they take the kids away. All the kids, both kids. Here's what happens. Do you
0: have any questions asked? Yeah, I've been well, trying well, to answer them all.
1: Yeah. Um... So but I trying to so say you guys showed up at 1 o'clock on a Saturday morning... And what is, the, what is the current situation? Like, what are you, like, are you, do they have the proper authorization to take our kids?
3: So basically, they're coming to take the kids. Um, this is several days after the examination. You can hear, they're, they're obviously, they're recording this on purpose. They're staying calm. You can hear the tone of their voice. They're saying, look, you're taking our kids. Do you have any documentation that shows that you can take our kids? Do, do you we know, know about, about that?
4: We're waiting for our people um, to make decisions, videoed
0: and... Audioed. From what I understand, Yes. There's an it's emergency order, from what I understand.
3: So that's the cop saying it's an emergency order. One kid has allergies. The other kid, the three-year-old, or I'm sorry, no, the older kid has allergies. The other one is still breastfeeding. And they're wondering what do we do?
2: But we don't have any paperwork or anything.
1: And we, but we've been told there's nothing new. There's zero new information. Yeah. No, they've,
0: been... they've, they've, they've told you there's new information. I heard it tell you. There. No, they said there's new information. They've they told, told us what, what the it was. New
1: information was, and that's, and that's a, exactly the very that's the original, original whole information. Reason why this whole thing happened. Yeah. Yeah. We so don't know just how to create
0: we... the best information.
1: Okay, okay. Let's let's. I don't want to be. I, we don't want to be adversarial. We just
0: want to make sure that things are done correctly and there actually is proper authorization. That's all we want.
4: Parents,
3: I know you want the right off you get to go on a car ride. I
4: don't want to go on a car ride.
3: Put, put yourself in this situation, these parents. Right now, at, at this point, you might say, "Well, look, they might be beating their kids." Right? The 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 state, Massachusetts, they're trying to save the kids because the parents are beating them, and that's what the injuries show. I
4: mean, I gave her the information to call on monday to, to get
3: on monday somebody. why is this happening on like we had days to do this why are we doing this when well, we can't do anything until monday that's crazy
4: that's know. when they I call the me i don't know how
2: to advise you to contact your mother in the morning and have them make,
0: have them make a few phone, phone calls and see if they can get a hold of a judge to, to make it an emergency decision <laughs>
3: I will definitely yeah.
0: do that. But, uh, yeah. like, why? I, I'm working yeah. on the kids.
3: Why yeah. not just come the us at the kids? Yeah. Well, this is horrifying. Kids screaming. So, why do I, parents I, are trying to figure out what's going on. You're, you're, you're adding
4: three now. days, two days of extra trauma to the kids.
3: Like, this is an unhealthy. Here, here.
4: I, I don't have any
3: so why do it this way? control of
4: what day oh. happens. It happens when it happens. Like sometimes what it's like, right, the way.
3: Way. Mm-hmm. So they took the kids away. And they would learn that rib injuries in babies are commonly interpreted as a sign of physical abuse, even though the research is not conclusive. And they didn't understand because the original report said that the injuries appeared to be consistent with either blunt force trauma or someone squeezing the child too tight. The parents couldn't explain, but Cal's grandmother did. When Lisa Sabi learned of Cal's injury, she remembered an afternoon when she was babysitting her grandsons and Cal uh, was being lifted from his car seat. He had... His head began to roll back. That's what the story is. She grasped him tightly. She recalls that he shrieked, but he was quickly consoled. She didn't think to mention it to the parents. She later provided an affidavit attesting to the episode supported by a pediatric radiologist who submitted an affidavit stating that the incident was a probable explanation for the injury. So, in the middle of the night, the kids are taken away. They suspect that they're child abusers. That's not the case whatsoever. It takes... Two months for a hearing to take the boys back under a custody arrangement. This took place in, um, well, I'm sorry, a month. It was July 16th, and then it was August 10th, almost three weeks later, where they finally had to have a custody hearing to get the kids back. They weren't beating their kids. And this is happening time and time again, and now these parents are fighting for reform. I'd say there are people listening right now that have gone through something similar, and I understand the fear of kids being beaten, but good Lord, this is America, right? Eh, maybe not the last couple of years. We learned that.